Good morning, everyone. It's, it's good to see you. And on a special day as well when we have our annual general meeting. And I remember how I used to hate annual general meetings. And then I went to one, and then I started to own it. And now I love the fact that we get this chance to celebrate everything that God's done throughout the year. And so if you've not signed up, as has already been said, I encourage you, come along, check it out. You don't have to come next year, just check it out this year. Um, and if we run out of pizza, I'll share my pizza with you. How about that? I remember my first Sunday at this church. It was 17 years ago, and my family had just arrived in Canada as newcomers. Two men were being baptized that day, and they came from countries historically at war with one another. And yet, there they were, united in Christ. And I still remember how deeply moved I felt. I don't know whether it was the fact that I was new in a country, didn't know anybody other than my immediate family. But I remember being acutely aware as I sat there that this was the good news of Jesus. People united not only with God, but coming from really different backgrounds, united with one another. And unity, and we've had it in some of the songs that we've been singing this morning, unity is the hallmark of the Christian God. He is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each part unique, but perfectly united, creating a beautiful wholeness. And this is the kind of wholeness, the shalom, that God intended from, for his creation right from the beginning. United, but not uniform, where difference doesn't lead to division. The baptism I witnessed that first Sunday felt like a snapshot of this a piece of the now and yet not yet reality of God's kingdom. And yet, experience shows us that division is everywhere. You can pick a topic, any topic. doesn't matter whether we're talking about sport or religion or education or race or sexuality or politics or Pepsi versus Coke. You're likely to find two vehemently opposed positions because we humans divide in endless ways. We put up walls. Sometimes these walls are physical. Think about Hadrian's Wall, the Great Wall of China, the Berlin Wall, the wall around our yard. But more often, the walls we put up are social, emotional, and psychological. And usually they come from a place of fear, or a sense of superiority, or both. Now, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus from behind prison walls, and ironically, he was in prison because he had been accused of breaching a wall. Acts 21 says that he was condemned by the Jews in Jerusalem on the false accusation of taking a Gentile into the area of the temple that was only for Jews. 
And one of the greatest divisions at that time was between Jew and Gentile. That is, between Jews and everyone who wasn't a Jew. And especially for the Jews, there was no more wide or deeper chasm in life than the one that separated them spiritually from all other people. So, for example, some Jews believed that Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. It was unlawful to help a Gentile woman give birth because that would mean bringing another pagan into the world. When leaving Gentile cities, pious Jews would shake the dust off their feet to show their separation from Gentile practices. And I imagine that Gentiles weren't that keen on Jews either. They had conquered the Jewish nation, and so it would feel really easy to feel politically and culturally superior. So there were all kinds of divisions between Jews and Gentiles, political, cultural, food, religion. And this caused huge problems in the church as Gentiles became Christians alongside Jews, who had become Christians too. And this is the context in which Paul writes his letter to the church in Ephesus. Last week in our series on Ephesians, Dave spoke on the first half of chapter 2 and how we were dead in sin, but God has made us alive in Christ. And today we're looking at the second half of chapter 2, where Paul tells the Ephesian church that Christ's death has not only removed the barrier between them and God, his death has also removed the barrier between Jewish and Gentile Christians. There are no walls in the body of Christ, and they are to live like it. Why don't we pray before I read the passage to you? Lord Jesus, you are indeed good news. And because of you, there are no more walls. No more walls between your Father God and us and between your followers. So Lord, as I speak this morning, would you please speak through me? Would nothing I say impede your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's have a look at Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. It's going to be on the screen. And settle in, because it's quite a long passage. Jew and Gentile reconciled through Christ. Therefore, and remember, whenever we see therefore in the Bible, it's the writer going, hey, take note of what was said before. Okay, so what was said before is, to summarize quickly, that... We are saved through grace alone, and we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So therefore, because of this, because of grace, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, 
Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is one of those passages that falls really nicely into three sections, and you've got to love it when it does that. And in each section, Paul paints a picture for the church in Ephesus. He begins by addressing the Gentile Christians Remember who you were. Are we going to get slide five, please? You, thank you. You were alienated from God. Then he says, Jesus is the peacemaker that has brought you close to God. And finally, he says, you are now a new community. So let's look at each picture in turn. We'll start with verses 11 to 12. And alienated humanity. And I'm going to read each bit again. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Quite a picture. Paul begins with a command to the Gentile Christians, remember. This verse is unique in the New Testament in that it is the only verse that tells us to remember our old way of life. In fact, If you compare it to passages like Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, which tells us to forget what is behind, it seems to contradict. But when you look at the two verses carefully, 
you see that they're saying the same thing. We're not to remember so that we wallow in guilt and shame from past mistakes. Rather, we're to remember our past so that we can see what Christ has delivered us from and appreciate the new life and identity we have in him. Before they knew Christ, this piece of the passage tells us the gentle, Gentile Christians were distant from God and his purposes, his privileges, and his people. They had no hope. They were an alienated humanity, separated from God. And while reminding the Gentiles of what it was like to be outside of the family of God... Paul also condemns the arrogance and the derogatory way that Jews describe Gentiles as the uncircumcised. By focusing on this physical difference, Paul says that the Jewish Christians have missed the point completely. The real circumcision that God desires and has always desired is not of the flesh but of the heart. What he wants is a pure heart, a circumcised heart, where all the bad stuff has been cut away. And because of Christ, we have that. So Paul has something to say to both Gentile and Jewish Christians in this first section, as he paints a picture of what life was like for the Gentiles when they were alienated from God. And this brings us to the second picture in the passage, Christ the peacemaker. So we'll take a look at verses 13 to 18. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. In the shedding of his blood, the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus fulfilled the words of Isaiah. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. And as the Old Testament prophets foretold, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and in him both Jew and Gentile are united. His death has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between them. When he says this, Paul is referring to the dividing wall in the temple that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. That's the wall that I said earlier that Paul was in prison because he was accused of breaching it. And you can see on the picture the wall of, the wall of separation there. And in 1871, archaeologists found the exact wording on this dividing wall. 
And in case you need me to translate, it says, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and the enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Might as well have said trespassers will be executed. Really strong words. So for this dividing wall to be broken down, metaphorically, two things had to go. First, verse 15 says, the law with its commands and regulations had to be abolished in the sense of external actions that separated Jew and Gentile, like circumcision. Second, verse 16, their hostility had to be replaced by fellowship. So, for example, we read in Acts where Peter and Cornelius meet, and Peter realizes that God shows no favoritism, but is drawing all nations and people to himself in Christ. As verse 19 says, For through him both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Access. What a life-giving word that is. Barriers removed. Walls broken down. Un unity with God and each other through the Spirit because of the Son. The law is no longer how the Jews and only Jews can come to God. The way of approach is now by grace alone, a new creative work of God, the same for all people. In Christ, verse 15, there is a new humanity. The Greek word for new here means new in the sense of never existing before. It is a community where not just the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been broken down, all dividing walls have gone. Galatians 3.23 states, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Through Christ we all have access to the Father through the Spirit. And this brings us to the third picture that Paul paints for the Ephesians, God's new community. I'll read 19 to 22 to you, or you can read it on the screen. Consequently, because of what Jesus the peacemaker has done, Gentiles, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So in these four verses, Paul shifts his focus from one new people created from two, Jew and Gentile, 
to believers built together as a temple fit for worship of the one true God. Paul's going to go on to develop this idea of unity in the rest of his book to the Ephesians, or his letter. But for now, he speaks further of the change in the Gentiles' position and status. They are no longer foreigners and strangers, but they're fellow citizens with God's people, members of his family, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I think it can be hard for us to fully understand how revolutionary that would have sounded to Paul's original hearers. Jews and Gentiles in the same family. And perhaps to add insult to injury to some of Paul's hearers, the central symbol of Judaism, the temple, is turned inside out. Paul declares that God is creating a new temple, not of stones, but of people. There's two words that the New, Test the new Testament uses for temple. Kion refers to the whole temple. Naos refers to just the holy of holies, the most sacred part of the temple where the Spirit of God dwells. And this is the word that Paul uses here. The new humanity, us. We're the holy of holies, and it is built on the revelation given to the apostles and prophets in the first generation of the church. People like Peter and Paul and Priscilla. And each person, each stone in God's new community finds its true place and purpose in relation to Christ. Christ is the cornerstone that determines the size and the shape and the character of the building. When we first got married, my husband and I lived in Salisbury in the UK. And Salisbury is famous for its cathedral. You can see a photo of it on the screen. The cathedral was completed in 1258, so a while ago, from stones from two different groups. Light gray chilmark stone was used for the walls, and dark gray polished Purbeck marble was used for the columns. The stones, though different, were built side by side, joined together, and supporting each other in a new architectural beauty. The stones don't lose their individual identity, but they're given a new identity that supersedes any other. They have become a new creation. And that's how the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, could overcome all the barriers that divided them. Their identity in Christ was far more important than their nationality, their cultural traditions, or anything else. Christ brings different people together, different stones, and makes them one. And it's beautiful.
Okay, let's summarize where we've got to. Paul's told the Ephesian Christians three things using three pictures. First, remember who you were before you knew Christ. You were an alienated people. And remember that so that you can fully appreciate the new life and the new identity that he's given you. The second picture is of Christ, the ultimate peacemaker between us and God and between us and each other. And finally, he gives the picture of how all followers of Jesus are now together the holy temple in which his spirit lives. This is the church. This is the body of Christ. Our text today celebrates unity and reconciliation. It reminds us that in Christ there is no division. And yet if we're really honest, all too often in the church, we allow differences and disagreements to become dividing walls. We can allow our different interpretations of scripture, our different worship preferences, our varied theological perspectives, our social and cultural paradigms, and so much more to injure the unity of the body of Christ. Whether it's our disparagement of Christian denominations or traditions that are different from our own, our intense divisions caused by theological issues, whatever the cause, we often choose not to live into the unity that Jesus Christ has won for us through his death and his resurrection. So let's think a little bit more about what can hinder unity in the church. And I'm not going to unpack every single thing that came to my mind, but I do want to mention three. And as I suggest these three, they may not apply to you, but I encourage you to allow the Spirit to speak to you about where you may have walls. And it may surprise you. I know it surprised me when I thought about myself as I prepared this message. So the first thing that can hinder unity in the church is that we can have an individualistic mindset. We can see our faith as simply a private, personal thing rather than one that involves the common life and tasks of the church community. I like the way that the very word community is made up of two parts, com, with, unity, together. The Spirit binds us together as we follow the way of Jesus to bring God glory. The unity of the Trinity is our model and the shape of the cross is our guide. Take a look at the cross behind me. Our faith involves the vertical relationship we have with God and the horizontal one we have with each other. If we have one but we don't have the other, that's not the cruciform life that we're called to, the cross-shaped life that we're called to. 
where we lovingly surrender our lives to God and to each other. And you know, there's some days I'm not sure which is hardest, to surrender my life to God or to each other. But I know that that's the model that Christ sets before us. So the second thing that can hinder unity within the church is that we can be afraid that unity will come at the cost of faithfulness to scripture and church practices. I hope it goes without saying that faithfulness to scripture is essential. But how we hold and express our beliefs can create walls. We damage the body of Christ when we lack humility and aren't willing to listen to other perspectives with a desire to understand and learn. Just on Friday, I read of an article and it included this quote by the German theologian and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer. His book is called Life Together and I thought it was worth saying. The first service one owes to others in the community involves listening to them. God's love for us is shown by the fact that God not only gives us his word, but he also lends us his ear. We are to listen to one another with the ear of God. And I, I encourage you to reflect on that. The third thing that I wanted to suggest was that we can forget or maybe not know Christ's vision for his church. On the night before he died, Jesus prayed for his disciples and then he prayed for all believers to come. He prayed that all of them may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What an astonishing vision for Christ's church. To be united like the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are united. I don't know where you might have built walls between yourself and other followers of Jesus. Like I said, I was surprised to think and unearth where I have bricks that needed to be taken away. But here's what I do know. If Christians cannot find a way to love one another, even when we differ and disagree, then how can we expect anyone to recognize the work of Christ in our midst? How will they know that God is love? 
We desperately need to turn away from the ways that we allow our differences to become dividing walls and injure the body of Christ. So, let's get practical for a moment. Before I finish, is there one step that you can take this week to build unity in the body of Christ? Do you need to reach out to someone who has hurt you? Is there someone you need to say sorry to? Is there someone who thinks very differently to you that you could invite for a coffee with the goal to simply listen, to understand them and their perspective? We know that when we serve together, walls can come down. Is the Spirit leading you to volunteer somewhere? Maybe it's somewhere that feels uncomfortable. Every day we have opportunities to build unity. And taking these opportunities really matters. So as I finish, Calvary Church... My church family, part of the wider body of Christ, because we are all God's family. Let's resolve to be a community of Christ followers that isn't afraid of difference. Let's be people who love those who disagree with us, and we show it. Let's be followers of Jesus that seek to tear down the dividing walls that we have allowed sin to create in the church so that the kingdom of God can flourish and so that the peace of Jesus can be preached to the ends of the earth and so that everyone might know the joy of being in God's family, no longer alienated from him, but part of the new community. Let's pray. Father God, this is a challenging passage. And I pray that each of us won't move quickly on from what we've heard. I pray that we would take time to be honest with you, ourselves, and each other about where we have built up walls and where we need to take them down. Holy Spirit, give us courage to do this, I pray. That when people look at the church, when they look at our little part of the church, they would see that God is love and they would be attracted to discover more about who Jesus is and what he has done for the whole of humanity.